There we go. Awesome. Well, it's good to be with you guys this morning. My name is Dave Westergaard, and uh, it is an absolute pleasure to be able to bring God's Word with you today as we continue our worship of Him through the study of the Word this morning. So, to be honest with you, it's, uh, it is a little bit uh, nerve-wracking. This, uh, this is my first time preaching at Rimrock, and uh, I have... <clears throat> Thank you. I have... I have filled the pulpit in other churches around the hills, but my first time in our home church. So I just want you guys to know I love you, and uh, I just want to appropriately bring forward what God has for each and every one of us today. So as we look at our life, all right, as you look at your life, are you different? A little different? Huh? You know, as a teenager, my worst fear was being considered different. You know, I, I wore the same haircut that my friends wore, same clothes. I didn't want to stick out as a teenager. But as I grew older, as I maybe matured a little bit, you know, I realized that it's okay to be different. It's okay to not necessarily just blend in with the world. Now think about Jesus. Jesus was different, wasn't he? He taught different. He thought different. He empowered those around him to also be different. You think about his teaching on what we call the Sermon on the Mount, right? I mean, those were some new words that many of those around him had heard that never heard before. Right? Today, we're going to take a look at a section of Scripture. We're continuing our, our study in the book of Mark, where Jesus taught different than maybe how society in that day live their life. In fact, Jesus taught different in this section today than how many in our world today live their life. Okay? We're going to be looking at uh, Mark's uh, chapter 10, beginning with verse 1 to 12. This is Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce. All right? A sensitive subject in today's day and age. And as we were putting together the schedule, the upcoming preaching schedule, this is about two months ago, I was sitting down with, uh, with our other uh, pastor teachers, our preacher teachers, Bill Ewing and Pat Karn. And granted, these are, these are two men that have been, uh, you know, counseling for, for many, many years. And they said, you know, Dave, we'd like you to preach on January 15th. Does that work for your schedule? And I said, that should work fine. And Bill said, before you finally commit, however, you may want to take a look at what section you're going to be teaching on, all right? You're going to be teaching on a very sensitive subject. And as he says that, both he and Pat, men with approximately 50 years of counseling experience between them, are chuckling, okay? How do you think that makes the rookie feel? The young guy. These guys are chuckling. But guys, this is a very serious subject. This is a very sensitive subject that has touched the lives of many people right here in this room. Okay? I don't want to take this as a laughing matter. This is a very serious issue. All right? But just we start out, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that we have to open up your word. Thank you, Father God, for the opportunity for your word to become alive in our life because you are alive. Father God, we ask you today to simply open our hearts. 
Allow us to receive what you have for us. If there is an assignment of the enemy, I pray that you cancel it right now. And I pray that through the cleansing blood of your son, Jesus. As we move into this subject, I want to ask you a question. That question is this. As you live your life, as you go about your day-to-day, your work, your school, taking care of your family, whatever it is that that, uh, you have on your calendar, who or what is your ultimate authority? And and, and today, you know, obviously we're in church. And I bet if I asked for a showing of hands right now, I would bet the majority of your hands would be raised that God is my authority. Okay? Okay? And I'm not questioning that. I'm not questioning that at all. But I'm asking you right now to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal in your heart who is your true authority. Because many times in our life, we are our own authority. We do things the way we feel they should be done. And I think about Solomon, the wisest earthly man to ever walk this earth said in Proverbs uh, 14, 12, said there is a way, there is a way which seems right to a man, but in the end, that way, that way is death. Okay? Solomon, in his amazing wisdom, says that when we resort to doing things our way, guess what? It leads to death. Daniel, in the book of Daniel, however, laid out a real, I think, amazing vision of how I, I hope that we as a body live out our lives. Daniel chapter 2, beginning with verse 20, and it's going to pop up here on the screens. And Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and he establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals, get this, the profound and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness and the light dwells with him. The light dwells with him. I hope as we go about our days, I hope that we desire those profound, those hidden things revealed by who is our true authority, God is our true authority. And that this authority, guys, just overwhelms us. That this authority of His amazing, perfect power and provision is made specifically for you. His plans for you are perfect. I pray that we seek God as our authority as we walk about our days. Let's open up the chapter, uh, this book, excuse me, let's open up chapter... 10 of Mark is where we're going to be hanging out to now read this section. Getting up, he went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this command. But 
But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Most of Jesus' earthly ministry was in the area of Galilee. All right? he, had, he had recently traveled from Capernaum south. And, and this teaching happens about 40 miles south of Capernaum, on the east side of the Jordan River, right above the Dead Sea. And as Jesus was teaching... Crowds would gather, all right? And, and that was real commonplace, it says. And, and what's even more common, though, is that, guess what? Jesus would teach them. Jesus would teach them. He was equipping them to be prepared for when he left this earth. He was equipping them to be prepared for what happens when he's no longer here. He's equipping them, and his prayers that he's equipping them with faith. He's equipping them to live out this life that he has shown them, that he is soon going to be prepared to give them his spirit. All right? And as he was teaching, a group of Pharisees who no doubt had heard about Jesus and his ministry came with the purpose of testing him. They came with the purpose of trying to get him to trip up. All right? They had an ulterior motive. Their motives weren't pure. Their motives were attempt to get Jesus, first and foremost, maybe to contradict the law of Moses, okay? Or maybe they were trying to get him to contradict the common practice in that day. Because amongst the Pharisees and many of the Jewish people, divorce was common. It was something that happened all the time, especially amongst the religious elite, the Pharisees. The Pharisees held a high regard for marriage. They, they believed if they weren't married by the age of 20, all right, that they weren't fulfilling the, the, the promise the, or the, the mandate of be fruitful and multiply. So if they weren't married by 20, they were in trouble. But in that same light, guys, they had low regards for women. Amazing. You would think the two would go hand in hand. They've kind of contradicted themselves. And as, as, as Jesus is looking at their motives, he could see their hearts, right? He knew that their purpose was to attempt to test him and trip him up. And, and their thought process, the, the Pharisees' thought process, came back, looked back at, at a command that Moses had put together in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 24.1 was where the Pharisees hung their hat on their justification for divorce, okay? Their low regard for women. And Deuteronomy 24.1 says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, there... Their schools of thought made an attempt to interpret 
What was this word uncleanness? What did that mean? For one group of Pharisees, those led by a rabbi by the name of Halil, and Halil can trace his roots back to David, all right? Rabbi Halil's definition of uncleanness was that a man could divorce his wife if he found any indecency in her. Any indecency in her. And that term any, as you can imagine, was broad. He could divorce her if he was dissatisfied with the food she prepared. He could divorce her if her voice could be heard at an elevated measure in the house next door. He could divorce her if she spoke harshly to him. All right? So this, this definition of uncleanness, according to Rabbi Halil, was a very broad interpretation. It gave the Pharisees, in their minds, a lot of freedom. And in all candidness, this was the most widely practiced view at that time. The other view was held by a rabbi by the name of Shammai. Rabbi Shammai had a little bit more of a conservative view of that definition of uncleanness. Excuse me, uncleanness. His definition was basically a man could divorce his wife if she was sexually immoral. That was the limitation. This was a very unpopular view amongst the Pharisees. And why? Because it was perceived as limiting a husband's freedom to do what he wanted to do. So, so rather than, than completely argue with the Pharisees, Jesus responded with his own question. You know, their question was, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus' response was with another question. He said, what did Moses command you? What did Moses command you? He took them back to the original law that they're attempting to interpret. All right? And their response was, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said, no, you are wrong. He told the Pharisees, you're wrong. All right? That was not the purpose. The purpose that Moses, why Moses wrote this is because guess what? Your hearts are hard. That's why Moses gave you this concession. It wasn't permission for divorce. It wasn't Moses' encouragement for divorce. It was done strictly as a concession because your hearts were hard. And what is a hard heart? A hard heart is one that says, guess what, God? I understand your will, but guess what? I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to do things the way I want them to be done. A hard heart pays little attention to God's desires and instead says, guess what? I'm going to do what I feel is right. That's a hard heart. All right? And Jesus is saying, that's why Moses gave you this concession. Jesus quickly, though, transitions in verse 6 of Mark 10. He transitions from this wrong view of divorce to God's overriding original view. All right? And that, that original view, he traces that back. He says, and from the beginning. So guess where we're heading? We're heading back to the beginning. We're heading back to Genesis. Genesis 2, all right, where Jesus lays out, excuse me, God lays out his original vision 
for marriage. All right? And, and God said, and I'm just going to paraphrase this, a number of these points, it's not good for man to be alone. You know, God had formed man, all right? And, and God in his amazing wisdom and his provision says it's not good for man to be alone, all right? I will make him a helper suitable for him. That word helper, that may ring kind of negative for some of us in here, specifically women. That term helper, though, doesn't necessarily mean what we believe it means in common usage today. That term helper means completer. All right? Adam was alone. God recognized that. So guess what? God in his provision and grace is going to make him a completer, someone that will now complete him. But amongst all of the animals that God had made, there was nothing suitable. So what did God do? He made Adam fall asleep. He took a rib. And from that rib, he fashioned Eve. You know, we take that story back to our days in Sunday school. God fashioned Eve out of that rib. Okay? And, and as, as Adam looks at that, he's like, oh, awesome. Amazing. Even the moment he saw Eve, he was in awe of her. God's fashioning was perfect. Completely perfect to complete him. God goes on to say in verse 24, For this reason, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They shall become one flesh. And and in that scenario, guys, take a look at the use of that verb shall become one flesh, all right? This concept of one flesh is kind of like a vision of two pieces of paper being glued together, all right? Being glued perfectly together. The paper doesn't do the gluing, all right? I know there's a lot of plans that go into marriage in this world, you know? Those dads here that have recently had a a young daughter married expensive. Correct? Yes. There's a lot of plans that go into marriage. But guess what? This vision of oneness comes from God. And he does that knitting together for that oneness. It's God that puts them together. And, and what's, what's so absolutely amazing about that, we all know men and women are different. How we were made is different. Man was formed. Man was formed. And that word formed really is a visual like a potter forming a pot, something of great function. But what was Eve? Eve was fashioned. That term fashion has a totally different meaning. That is to create something of amazing beauty. That's what God did with Eve, all right? He fashioned her into something of great, amazing value. That term fashion is the same term that God uses when he describes the instructions to make an altar, to make the holy temple. The same word is used when he made Eve. Isn't that amazing? So 
different in how we were made, so different in our physical makeups, men and women, so different in our emotional makeups, in how we interact with the world, so amazingly different. But yet God in his wisdom, in verse 24, says that the man and his wife are to be joined, married, and become one flesh. Only God puts that together. And that marriage, guys, marriage is that visible representation on this earth of God's awesome love for his church, you and I, his church. God's visible representation of a spiritual truth of God's love for his church. These two unique things being glued together is something that God puts together. It's not something that we figure out how to do this. It is God at the center of the lives of those that love him that are pulling those heart strings together as one. All right? This vision of two being glued together is God's vision for marriage. It's not something that we put together It's not something that we figure out. It's something that we live out through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. If you have placed your faith in the cleansing blood of what Jesus did on the cross, guess what? You have that power. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life to live this out. You know, husbands, we're commanded to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Right? I can't do that with my wife of nearly 24 years. I can't in my own strength. I do not have that ability. But through the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, I am able to love her like Christ loved the church. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But through his amazing strength, we can live out God's vision of oneness for us. And that spouse, husbands, wives, do you look at your spouse as one that is perfectly designed for you? A spouse of absolute amazing value created by our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father's child of amazing value. Do you look at your spouse that way? I know at times, guys, marriage is not easy. There's challenges that pop up. There's issues that happen with, with, with pressures from this world. Marriage is not easy. And I say this, on your own, in your own strength, I say marriage is impossible. In your own strength. Okay? When you look at your wife, man, do you look at her as one that is perfectly created for you? perfectly picked out by God for you before you even showed up in this earth. Man, do you look at your wives that way? Wives, do you look at that husband, your husband, your completor? Strong when you were weak, weak when you were strong, as one that God perfectly picked out for you in his amazing plans 
for you in that marriage are awesome. Do you look at him that way? And if you're not married, are you waiting on that person who is perfect? Are you waiting on that person who, is, who God has designed for you? Or are you trying to figure out and saying, uh-oh, time's clicking away. I better find somebody because my parents expect me to get married. My friends have been married for three to four years. Are you just anxious out of finding somebody? Or are you waiting on God's timing? Are you waiting on God's timing specifically for you? I hope you're waiting on his timing. And, and as, as we look at marriage, guys, this, this concept of oneness, all right, God's vision that two shall become one really has fallen away in today's day and age in favor of personal freedom. Personal freedom to do what I feel is right in my own mind. And, and what did Solomon say about that? Solomon, the first verse we looked at today, in the book of Proverbs said, guess what? Doing things that we feel is right leads to death. It does. And unfortunately, this vision of oneness has given away to that personal freedom. The falling away in a marriage, the falling away of oneness doesn't always happen overnight. It can. But many times it takes time. Like I said, those of you that have been married in this room for a number of years, it takes effort. It takes a dependence upon our Heavenly Father to live out this life that He's called us to. Right? We can't do it in our own strength. And, and as we walk around this room, if I were to ask for a showing of hands of who's been impacted by divorce here, I'm not going to ask for a showing of hands, but if I did, I would bet many hands would be raised. Maybe you've personally gone through a divorce. Maybe your parents divorced when you were a young child and it still hurts. Maybe a close friend or family member has gone through a divorce and you know what it was like to walk through those shoes. It's painful. It's tough. No one here is saying that it's not tough. There's a song out there by Jason Gray that says a divorce is like a death without a funeral. A lot of grieving, a lot of pain that happens in those situations. And if you've gone through that pain, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you've gone through that. I'm sorry that you've experienced that pain. Maybe you've experienced it in a way that you feel is unique to you, and it probably is. Right? But I hope today that we can get back to a focus of God's original design that is that vision of oneness. You know, the Pharisees asked the question. They asked the question of Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? They asked that question. Today, too many times, the question is not even asked. It's assumed. Yeah, it's lawful to get divorced. Yes. Right? Why is this something that we're spending time on today? Certainly it's part of the preaching schedule. Mark 10 was kind of the process we're walking through. But I believe it's a much deeper reason why we're here. I think God's timing on this is perfect. God's timing on this discussion 
may be perfect for someone's heart here in this room. So why is this something that the church is concerned about? Why don't we just hang out on, on other things such as God's grace, God's, God's forgiveness, God's provision? Because guess what, guys? All of that is wrapped up in God's vision for oneness. All right? and so why should the church be concerned about divorce? I mean, it's between two consenting adults generally, right? Maybe this is not something that the church should even spend time on. I think the church should spend time on it because I believe this is God's desire that two shall become one. They shall be one flesh. That is God's original desire. And I believe God understands the pain, the challenge, the frustration, the anger that comes through a divorce of those that he loves, his children. That's why I believe God is concerned about it, and that's why I believe the church should be concerned about it. God understands this weight. God understands this pain, the impact that divorce has on his children. And I think that's at least in part why he goes on and he ends this section of his public teaching in this area in verse 9, where he says, What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. This is a bond. Remember the paper? That God fashioned. He did the gluing. Let's not lose sight of that fact. Let no man separate. Okay? And, and what's more, guys, God doesn't just command us to be one. He doesn't just command us to not separate. He has given us the presence of His Holy Spirit, the power to not just work harder, but to put Him at the center, to put God at the center of that relationship. Allow God to take His right place in your marriage and in your life. There are challenging feelings that, we, that erupt in marriages, in relationships. When you've been together with someone for a period of time, there's, there's times where they start to rub wrong in different ways. It creates frustration. It creates challenges. I pray, though, that with God at the center, with God in the middle of your marriage, you can recognize that this marriage isn't about me. It's not about my feelings. It's not about how I feel, because guess what? Our feelings, guys, will deceive us. I pray that we instead spend time and we focus in on the truth of the matter. And the truth of the matter is God fashioned us together. God put us together, and it's Him at the center. It's Him at the center. If He's not, that's His true space. That's where He wants to be. God's desire for us is that we be one. But I also believe God desires that we seek Him first. All right? God desires that we, as, as He teaches in Matthew 6.33, seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life, 
all these things will be added to you. But he says, first, seek God and his righteousness. He doesn't say, all right, resort to your feelings to determine how you feel about this. He says, seek God first. Seek God first. In verses 10 to 12, Jesus moves away from the public teaching to really what we'll call a private response to the disciples' questions. The disciples wanted a bit more clarification. And Jesus decides, yeah, absolutely. I'll share with you my thoughts on this issue. This, this section of Scripture is unique in Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce. If you look at uh, Jesus' teaching in the book of Matthew, chapter 19, this section, this teaching is not mentioned. All right? So this is unique to Mark. And Jesus' response was, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Why? Why does Jesus include this here? I believe he's responding to the disciples' questions, and he's calling it adultery because the divorce that he's referring to here is not a justified divorce. It's an unjustified divorce. So from God's perspective, the marriage, the first marriage is still intact. And to marry another would be adultery. That's what Jesus is saying here. All right? Marriage is not easy. There could be challenges that have popped into your marriage that are beyond what anyone could ever imagine. But I wonder, I wonder, can God work through that challenge? Can God work through what maybe you would consider something that is beyond God's ability to take care of? We think about the Samaritan woman who interacted with Jesus at the well, okay? And Jesus asked her the question, do you want living water? She doesn't know what he's saying. She, he doesn't, she doesn't know what he's talking about. And her response to him was this, Sir, how would you give me living water? You don't even have a bucket. And this well is very, very deep. How are you going to get water out of this well? Guys, do we think in our marriage that the well's too deep? Jesus doesn't have a bucket? I want to tell you, he does. There is no marriage that is too far gone for God's awesome provision. There is no marriage, no relationship too far gone beyond God's ability to bring it back to oneness. I pray that we, as a church, are profoundly serious about the sacredness of marriage. The world, the world we live in is not afraid to trample on the sacredness in favor of personal freedom. Okay? But I hope we as a church are serious about sacredness of marriage. If you are walking through deep waters, there are people here that want to come alongside you. This church has a number of, of counselors here 
that are willing to walk through with you and your spouse or you individually and, 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 and your spouse, hopefully together, to walk through these deep waters. There's a group of elders here that are ready to pray with you for your marriage. There are people here that are ready to fight for that marriage because we recognize the challenge and the pain that we go through. I hope today, I hope today that you find Jesus' words on marriage refreshing. I hope today you recognize that there is a value in that oneness. There is a value of living out that vision that God has for you. But maybe these words, maybe these words of Jesus, cut like a knife because there's pain there. I recognize there's pain. If you are a spouse that has walked out, there's amazing value in repentance, a turning away, and a turning back to God's vision. There's amazing value there. If you are that spouse who has been walked out upon, there's amazing freedom in forgiveness, a forgiveness that you have received from what Jesus did on the cross for you personally. Could it be an opportunity to you, for you to display that same grace to your spouse? There's freedom there. There's freedom found in repentance, and there's freedom found in forgiveness. I promise you, God's vision for your life is perfect. Are we desiring his will? Are we submitting to his authority? Janet, are you going to close? I hope as we are walking through these deep valleys, I hope as we walk through challenges in our life, we recognize that those challenges are designed by our loving Heavenly Father for good. Do we recognize that? That He has designed those bumps in the road for good because they draw us closer to Himself. You think about pain in your life. Pain is tough. But guess what? It brings us to a point in time in our life where we are more dependent upon our Heavenly Father, and that is a good thing. Dependence is a good thing. And as we become more dependent upon Him, guess what? We allow His Spirit to live and to, to activate through our life. Through that strength, we can do all things. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. But through His amazing strength, we can do all things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I do, uh, do pray for hearts that are heavy. Father God, may you overwhelm them with your grace, your mercy, your provision, your wisdom, Father God. May we seek you in all things. Thank you for your vision of marriage. Thank you, Father God, that you don't just turn us loose to try to figure it out on our own, but that you are, through your Spirit, exhibiting to us your life that you have for each of us, Father. We love you. We just thank you for your awesome love for us. Amen.